Hey guys, welcome to Performance Anxiety. Thank you so much for listening. This week we speak with Emily Jane White. We go back to her dad's days in the Merchant Marines and the time she got to travel with him, moving to France for her music and playing some surf punk. Emily talks about the underlying and often unconscious themes that develop during her songwriting and how literature is as much of an influence as music. If you like your music dark and mysterious, this show is for you. Her new album is out, so check it out on Bandcamp or her website, emilyjanewhite.net. Give her a follow on social media. Follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe, rate, review, and share. And now let's learn a little about Emily Jane White. And you're listening to Social Anxiety. Pod Social Anxiety or? Performance. Oh, performance. Yeah, and I'm getting a weird buffering here, too. So do you want to hear? Why don't you, you want to call me back? See if the connection's better? I think it's, we're okay right now. You want to try to give it one more shot before we do that? Okay. Uh, hi, this is Emily Jane White. My new album, Imminent Fire, will be out this Friday, November 15th. And you are listening to Performance Anxiety Podcast. So. No. Yeah, how are you? Good, good. How are you doing? Good. good. Oh, good. Oh, my uh, yeah. microphone's about to fall off my desk here. Hold on one second. <laughs> like a, every once in a while, things just shift, and I have to reconfigure things here. I don't know. I don't know what happens. All right, I think I'm okay. Okay. All right. So, uh, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I want to find out a little bit about how you got into music in the first place. Uh, so I was reading about your biography. Uh, your dad was a merchant Marine and you, let's see, you were, uh, grew up in the Fort Bragg area in California. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. How, now what's it like being the kid of a merchant Marine? It's, it's sounds like it's almost like having a dad who goes on tour. He goes, he goes out for a while and he comes back and. Yeah, actually it's, it's very much like that. Um, so my dad was gone in total about half my life wow. as a child and adolescent and he would be gone for two months and then he'd be home for two months. Wow. And it was just like that. And during that two months that he was gone, he would do two tours. So he would start in Oakland okay, or San Pedro in, uh, you know, the Los Angeles area. And yeah. then and go all the way up, you know, Canada, Alaska, and then head over to Japan and Korea, Taiwan. Wow. China. And so he would do two trips and then back, basically. Um, oh and so he would do two two tours like that within a two-month period. And uh, when I was 16, I got to go on one a, a trip with him. Oh, cool. For five weeks. Wow. Yeah. So I did one full trip. Oh, that's awesome. And Where did you end up going? So, uh, let's see, I got on the ship in Oakland and, and actually I live in Oakland now. Oh, um, <laughs> so it was awesome. interesting looking at the docks cause that's where my dad, Fort Bragg is about four hours North of Oakland. Okay. Okay. So when we would drop my dad off or pick him up, it would be at the Oakland docks for the most part. And, uh, so I got on the ship in Oakland and then we went up to Seattle and then Vancouver and then two places in Alaska, went to Yokohama and Kobe oh, in wow. Japan and went to Pusan, Korea and Kaohsiung, Taiwan. Uh, and then we went to Hong Kong and then another spot in China, but we didn't get off the ship. And oh, then gosh. we trekked back across the ocean Back to Alaska, then down to Canada, Seattle, and then back to Oakland. Oh my! So, what were you doing on the so, ship this entire time? Well, my so um, <laughs> that's a good question. I was sixteen. <laughs> um, no, no. I mean, it was more just like I mean, I remember sleeping a lot. <laughs> what, uh, what most what my teenage daughters movies, do? Yeah, watching movies and like reading. There were two guys on the ship that were a little bit younger. Um, that I hung out with a little bit. Like I went ashore with them a couple times. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I mean, it was all, and I spent a lot of time with my dad too, which was cool. Oh, that's awesome. And so, so when did you start playing music? And what what instrument did you start off with? How old were you? What were you playing? Uh, so my parents started me out on the piano when I was five, and. Oh, wow. 
then I did some lessons and some recitals and things. And then I switched to a different teacher. And then I remember reading music out of a book, like for, you know, beginners. Yeah. And I remember not really liking reading music and not really liking <laughs> playing the <laughs> songs that were in the book. And so I quit. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I think I was in first grade. Uh, and then I ended up, I ended up playing a bit on my own by ear and just kind of tinkering around with the piano. My okay. dad taught me some chords on guitar when I was 12. Um, and then I ended up doing music, uh, with a different teacher who was also an art therapist and she was just really open and into improvisation and kind of whatever you wanted to do. Oh, cool. And so when I was 15, I ended up doing lessons with her and actually some of the songs on this album I wrote, she has a beautiful piece of property up in Mendocino and she rents out some of her property for, on Airbnb. Oh, nice. And I was looking for a place to write some of this record. And so I contacted her and asked if, I, if it was possible for me to pay her so that I could use and use her. Um, she has this yurt that's dedicated to a lot of her, like, um, her own art practice, but also she gives workshops and art therapy, just art therapy events there. So oh, cool. I, for like, I think six or seven days, I used her yurt, uh, out in the middle of the woods wow. for, to write oh, man, some awesome. of the songs on this record. That yeah. That is awesome. So, her name is Marilyn Hager, and she's just an amazing person and um, a truly amazing, wonderful inspiration to me. Oh, well, if she's um, on social media, we'll tag her when we do this. So let me know if she's on. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe her social media is under a bit of a different name. It might be under her business name, but I can yeah, let well, you know. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. All right. And yeah. so when did you start writing music? How old were you? Um, I think I wrote some songs when I was maybe like 16 or so Okay, 16, 17. And then I went to an alternative high school for my, uh, sophomore through senior year, um, in the town of Mendocino, which is a little bit South of Fort Bragg. Okay. And, uh, to graduate from that school, you had to do a 200 hour senior project. And I chose wow. singing and songwriting and playing piano. And, oh, cool. I wrote some songs. Did you sing in for, for 200 hours straight? Well, I, <laughs> yeah, it was 200 hours of, you know, lessons and practice and writing and, you know, and then I performed for the presentation. Oh, man. And I have to say, I don't remember any of the songs I wrote. <laughs> Uh, and I remember playing one. I, I ended up switching. I ended up moving to a different piano teacher um, after Marilyn because Marilyn was like, well, you're you're really good. And I think that you might want to study with this other person who's more technically kind of savvy than I am in this area where I feel like you seem to be interested in okay. cultivating more like improv technique and things like that. So I ended up working with this woman named Lynn Keysweater who teaches in Fort Bragg and she's really like blues and jazz oriented. Pianist. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so that was my last year of high school and that was around the time I was doing the senior project. And she ended up playing, I ended up doing, singing some like old jazz standards and she ended up playing, accompanying, accompanying me on piano. Oh, that's cool. Um, and then I went away to college and I got really involved in seeing a lot of like underground music and shows and things and seeing a lot of people doing all different kinds of music and college a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, it's really like a cherished time that I feel very nostalgic about. Yeah, me, um, me too. And I just, I had had like enough skills sort of under my belt to be like, hey, I'm interested in that or I could try that. And I never really like joined anything right off. I didn't join anything after the for, for the first two years, but then okay. I got asked to join a band and I did that. And then because um, I could play some guitar at that point. So and is this the point where you moved into like punk and metal? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny because there's a, when my first album came out in 2007, somebody wrote that in a 
in the bio or in, in a review that I was in punk and metal bands. I was never in a metal. Well, I don't know. I guess I could consider some, uh, this one band I was in sort of metal adjacent. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, I was in like kind of a surf punk band. Oh, cool. For a while. I played guitar. Yeah. And so I did that before I wrote my own songs. Okay. And, and then I, I had, a, uh, I started to write my own songs and I had two of my girlfriends who are still good friends of mine joined my band and we were this trio and our, our we were called the diamond star halos. Ah, uh, T-Rex reference. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> I love T-Rex. <laughs> Especially my friend Brooke, uh, who wrote my bio for this album actually. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, yeah. She was a really big Mark Boland fan and, <laughs> uh, she has really amazing um, big hair, like Mark <laughs> Um And uh, sorry, I hope you can see her. Hold on. There we go. Uh, and yeah, so we played just sort of briefly, brief period in time, but we were able to record an album. Oh, wow. Uh, which I don't have anywhere up for sale, actually. I've had the intention of putting it up digitally. I still want to do that. Um, so that was around 2003, 2000, 2003 through, or maybe more like 2002 through 2005, I was playing those songs with and without that band. Okay. And then, um, uh, in, in that time I had moved to France for a little while and played music there and then I moved back and that's when I wrote my first record. What was the impetus for going to France? Um, I had met some French friends of mine through a good friend of mine who grew up in the same town I did and they actually came and stayed with me in Santa Cruz and they were like you have to come to Bordeaux you have to come play music it would be great and um so I ended up moving there for a little while was it great uh I think it was a tricky time (laughs) in my life (laughs) yeah um, I I mean I was like just out of college I was like no (laughs) much about anything (laughs) Yeah, this was a tough time for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't regret it, and I definitely made some friends for life. So, well, then those, yeah. Those, and oddly enough, the record label I work with now is based in Bordeaux, and I didn't know them. Oh, wow. I, I didn't get connected with them at all through living there, which is very strange. That, that's yeah. a crazy coincidence. Oh, my it is. gosh. It is a really crazy coincidence. So, Sorry, so you've got this amazing sound to your music and I was I want to know how you how you discovered it I mean your a lot of your music even going back to your first album in 2007 every it's very melancholic and and I hear to me being an untrained just listener I hear the same sounds and and, the, and I get the same feeling as when I hear like David Eugene Edwards 16 horsepower woven hand uh Mark Lanigan uh Nick Cave it's very dark, mm-hmm. melancholic. Is that was that the intention from the beginning? Is that where you're drawn to? I was never interested in, I've always been interested in writing songs in a minor key and mood and, and vibe wise. That's just been what I've always felt naturally attracted to. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, discovering artists along the way who are doing something similar was always very reassuring because I mean, just like anybody has the, you know, the music that resonates with you and yeah, I, I never, on a very sort of raw level writing music that strayed from anything sort of moody and melancholy never felt right for me. Okay. Uh, it's just not what I was drawn to. And, uh, I don't really know. I mean, I can 
speculate why that is, but I think <laughs> it's just sort of... It's like, like he said, it's just what resonates with you. Yeah, there's a resonance that everybody has, I think. Uh, and it wasn't with, surf punk. <laughs> well, I also really liked surf punk <laughs> as well. So how did you and make I'd say the yeah, I still there? do. So, uh, so why aren't you well, writing surf punk now then? <laughs> well, actually, the other night, my boyfriend and I were jamming, quote unquote jamming, not really, but uh, in our rehearsal space, and we, we sort of played some little surfy, oh, man. Surf, surfy, but but still in a minor key. So, so. <laughs> minor key surf. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I just, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like. I guess I've been asked this question very many, many times. I can imagine. Years, yeah. or attention has been drawn to it in interviews time and time again. Uh, and yeah, what I would say is that I guess what I would say is I'm always have been more interested in and uh, more drawn to creating work that speaks to speaks to concerning issues or and sadness and sorrow well, and i can that, see, i can see yeah. that in i was i was like like i said you know i had to do a little research on you before i, I spoke with you and yeah. i was looking reading bios and listening to interviews and a couple things kept popping up that uh and one is that your literary inspirations are you know cormac mccarthy emily bronte uh edgar Allan poe so it, to me, it kind of it makes sense that those moods would would find their way into your music. So I mean, that to me, that makes total sense. Um, do you have musical inspirations that are that run that similar vein? Like, do you listen to a lot of Nick Cave or Sixteen Horsepower or anything with David Eugene Edwards or anything um, that would seep, it, yeah, seep into you I'm, that way? I'm a fan of uh, Sixteen Horsepower and Woman Hand. I actually just opened for him the other night. <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, he's that. He's one of the, like the unicorns. I'm trying to get on this show at some point. Oh, I love I hope, David Eugene Edwards. Uh, I hope you can have him on. Yeah. Oh, me too. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm a fan of all of those artists that you mentioned. Do I necessarily feel directly influenced by them? No. Okay. Uh, I. I mean, every artist has influences and I think where I'm at now with my work is just that I've compiled like this palette of raw materials and I try and diversify my palette and try and like add things as much as I can, <laughs> right. especially over time. And a lot of that has looked like as of recently, I took classical singing lessons for about four years. Oh, cool. Um, I even did some like... I did, I took some more piano lessons and I did some theory classes and stuff. And it's really looked a little bit more like me getting more in touch with my own palette and expanding upon my own sort of organic tools within myself to write music and song. Oh, okay. Um, and so that's where I've spent most of my time. In fact, like after my last record, I didn't really even listen to any new music. Oh, really like not. music that I hadn't music that I hadn't known about. I actually didn't really listen to music for like a year Oh wow! <laughs> before yeah. writing this record. And part of it was cause I just felt, I felt really burnt out, but also I, I don't know. Nothing was really speaking to me. Maybe that says something about my state. <laughs> or maybe it says something about I, music <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, being released but, lately. Yeah, but I mean, it was even like old classic stuff too that I just love now, and I, I don't know. It was uh -huh. interesting. I, I guess I, um, yeah, I kind of went and went through a time period of sort of like not putting a lot of not exposing myself to a lot of different things. Um, well, so I can understand that. I mean, if you're you know re if it takes you uh, a while to record and then you have to go and support it with, a, with touring, you know, I can definitely understand how you get burnt out. I mean, that's yeah. not an easy road to take. Yeah, no, definitely. Absolutely. So 
when you go into the studio, let's say for, for the album that's out now, uh, Imminent Fire, or you know your previous albums, do you have the songs worked out ahead of time, or, or is it? You, are you going in with with skeletons and then working it out in the studio? What's or is it? A, do you do a little bit of both? What's your, what's your the way? You, is there a, is there a way you normally do things in the studio? Well, uh, I mean, one thing I've always done is I usually have a finished song, so I have something that's finished from the beginning to the end. Okay. Um, the last two records, I would say I've experimented more with shortening material, like shortening songs, just going, giving myself, I, the record before that I had some like five and, you know, five and six minute songs at certain points. And I just realized that for what I do, I like to have the songs be shorter than that. And that kind of creates a constraint, which is interesting to work with. I mean, it's not, it's not a a solid rule or anything that I I can't change this at all. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's just, it's just been something that has kind of worked for me, which is how can I say what I need to say in the most concise and uh, interesting way that doesn't eat up a whole bunch of time. And, and that for me has been an interesting sort of writing tool that I've played with over the last, I'd say, couple records. So I'd say maybe there was a little bit more editing that went on, a little bit more revision. Okay. Um, but yeah, for this record, I worked with uh, Anton Patzner. He co-produced the record and then arranged it. Um, you know, we worked closely in the studio together pretty much right. for most of the record. And um I came in with like pian- something written on piano with full full vocals start to finish or on guitar. I would do my parts and then we would just build, start building the song and he would try out different, I would make suggestions. He would try out different things. Uh, I'd say, what about this? Or even I added some things here and there too. Um, he's a really talented violinist and oh. also s- string arranger. Oh, um, cool. So he did a, uh, I mean, but he also played guitar and bass and a bunch of other stuff too. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much what it looks like. I mean, the songs in and of themselves are written by me, of okay. course. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, in terms of the way that they were developed in the studio, I didn't, I didn't come in with sketches of unfinished material. Okay. Everything was finished. Sometimes it was finished literally up until like, 45 minutes before I was supposed to go into the studio. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, and there were maybe like a couple times where we edited out a couple things, which okay. always sort of felt good to make cuts to things that didn't need to be there. But yeah, yeah, it was, that's generally what I've always done. I always have a song that's written start to finish in terms of its own skeleton and bare bones uh, composition. that stays within. Yeah. I mean, but what was cool about working with Anton is that he could take some of my bare bones tracks and then we could sort of transform them a little bit or we could turn them down in volume and then we could have other things come in or replace them. That was something that was really nice to try and to work with for this record. And I'd say that's something that's very much the benefit of working with a, you know, having outside ears, somebody that you're collaborating with and working with. Um, yeah, exactly. Someone who, someone maybe who isn't as close to the original idea as you are. Right. That's, yeah. that's, you know, that's a great idea. That's, and, and, and I like what you said about having, giving yourself a, you, you know, like a, a framework you can, I was, I'm trying to remember who it was I had on the show not too long ago that, that said they found they were more creative when they gave themselves a bit of a framework that they had to work within. If they mm-hmm. found that if they were just going completely improv and they would just ramble on and on and never come up with something that they liked. But if they gave themselves, whether it was, you know, it's got to be this, you know, the song needs to be this long and no longer, or um, they wanted to fit in, you know, certain, it had to be in a certain key or whatever. As long as they gave mm-hmm. themselves some parameters, some, some concrete parameters, they found themselves to be a lot more creative. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that definitely works for, for some people and, um, has definitely worked for me. 
now the band do you have a set band that you that you play with on a regular basis like uh, when you go out touring or uh is it always the same band or over the years i've worked with a variety of different musicians and at one point i kind of had a more sort of steady solid band as i was playing a lot more like local shows and things it's been many years since i've had that okay um because it just became more about what was I working? What was I presenting? Was which which album was I presenting, and how? Who are the people that I was going to work with um, to present that record? Um, and so, yeah, I have. I'm working with a a couple of musicians, um, one of whom I've worked with before uh, for this album. Okay. But yeah, I, I wouldn't say I have like an Emily Jane White band per se. Okay. When yeah. you when you go and tour. As as I've listened to your your catalog, the the songs tended to get a lot more lush and, and a lot uh-huh. more filled out. Uh, is that is that harder to to rearrange those songs when you go out and play them live? If it's just you and a and a couple of other people, because there's a lot of parts where there's strings and there's you know yeah. some acoustic guitar, some 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 actually really heavy electric guitar, um, amazing drum work as well. So uh, is it hard to to figure out how to play those songs live? It's funny you ask because we were just in the rehearsal space today working on some old material, (laughs) (laughs) flushing it out for the tour that's happening soon. Awesome. Uh, You know, I mean, when you have, it depends on how many people you're working with and what the instrumentation is. Uh, So. (laughs) So it can be difficult and and sometimes it's not. Well, I think you can do a lot with very little. I, you know, dynamic wise. Um, I'm going to be, we're going to be playing as a trio for this next tour. Um, so I have one friend who's playing bass and guitar and then, um, and, um, guy playing drums and, uh, I'll be on piano and guitar as well and singing. Um, but yeah, like that second record Victorian America and the third one where I had a lot of strings and just a lot of different more instruments than I've had more, more instruments that can be played by like a band. Yeah. You know, like we could go up on stage and we could play the song start to finish with all the arrangements, like with a solid band of people that I've worked with before. Yeah. I haven't really had that for a while. Um, just cause I didn't really, I didn't, what I was doing didn't really require having something so consistent. Okay. Um, and you, 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 you tour Europe quite a bit. Do you find that you get a better reception in Europe than in the U S cause I, I'm, I would love to, to see tour around my area cause I'd love to, to catch a live show. <laughs> Where do you but live? I'm outside of Washington, DC. Oh, cool. I have a very good friend, a childhood friend that lives in Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah. She's I'm, always trying to get me to come. Yeah. Oh, well, you should definitely. You, I, well, I'm sure she can tell you a bunch of uh, venues to play, but if you're ever looking yeah. for places to play out here, I could definitely t- send you some. I actually live in Winchester, home of Patsy Cline. So. Oh, wow. So there's very a, cool. Yeah, there's a bunch of places to play out here. If you're ever in this area and looking for a gig, <laughs> let me know because I, oh, I can point yeah, you to I'll a hit, ton I'll of places. I'll hit you up. Yeah, there's a ton Thank of places. You. Do you find it um, harder to play the U.S. or, or Europe? Because I, I have noticed that in, in your, your tours, you, you've played Europe a lot. And 
are you playing locally in California in your area or do you branch out at all? Uh, like East coast? Uh, well, let's see the last, for the last record, I did a, a pretty big tour in the States. Um, and there's some areas that I didn't get to, but, okay. uh, yeah, we toured all the way out to Raleigh, North Carolina and then toured back. Oh, cool. Um, from California and then like up to Vancouver, um, Canada. And then I did a bunch some Midwest up into like Toronto and Montreal and then New York. Um, and then, but yeah, for the most part, the last 12 years I've toured in Europe a lot. I'm, I'm on a European record label and have been for a long time. And it's oh, that makes sense. also yeah. where I've had, <laughs> I just had a lot of support for my music off the bat there. And I ended up, it ended up consuming a lot of my time in my early career going to Europe. And so I didn't really spend a lot of time touring in the U S I think for every record, I've always done some East coast and West coast dates, but okay. it was really the last record that I did most more extensively, uh, more extensive touring in the States. Okay. And uh, the new album, uh, imminent fire. I've, yeah. I've this is the, the album is fantastic. I'm actually I was listening to it several times today. I, I really, really enjoyed it. I get this. Um, a lot of it sounds very cinematic to me. Uh, do, mm -hmm. do you draw any inspiration from cinema or theater when you're composing the songs and, and thinking about how you want it to sound in the end? Not necessarily. I mean, I feel like I've always written music that's sort of subtly dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> and that can be brought out. That drama can be brought out with different instrumentation and then working with Anton. I mean, the fact that he's based, you know, he's a really talented, amazing string arranger. We definitely kind of went there with the record. You know, made that some some elements of it really dramatic. Oh and, yeah, and and there were times where he was like, "Is it too dramatic?" He's like, "I have a real sweet tooth for drama <laughs> and like making things really epic." So just let me know if it's too dramatic. And I was like, "No, I love it." Yeah. <laughs> so we were kind of on the same page in that regard. Well, um, it was I'm, really fun making this record. I have to say, I it was probably the most fun I've had. Oh, really? Oh, making, awesome. Maybe making a record ever. Yeah, it was really really fun it's, um, it sounds great the 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 production quality everything the, the writing everything is fantastic drown is amazing um a, a metamorphosis i think so far i think my favorite song though is the gates at the end So the, and then the vocals are fantastic. You're, you're, you've got this beautiful quality to your voice. And it, it, it reminds me of uh, two of my favorite singers, uh, Jeanette Napolitano from Concrete Blonde. I get, I can hear a little oh, bit yeah. of, of her, the quality of her voice in your voice. And then, and maybe this, maybe, maybe this came to me after I read that you were into punk and metal. I don't know, but there's a, a band called Mercur, M-Y-R-K-U-R from. Oh Yeah. Yeah, I think they're from they're Swedish or Norwegian or something, and uh, the harmonies and, and the choruses I can I, I hear a little bit of that minus the the black metal that they do. You take that part out, and I can hear you mm -hmm. <laughs> more a little bit of, of what your voice sounds like in that. Oh, cool! <laughs> unless unless you know you want to do a black metal album at one point, then. <laughs> 
But, I can't really sing very loud, so I don't know if I'd be a good front person. <laughs> we'll just blow your voice out and you'll be fine. Is there um, yeah. anything behind the name of the album, Imminent Fire? Um, so, yeah, I I sat down with my good friend, Brooke, and we talked a lot about, I told her a lot about what the, the main theme concept of the record was, what some of the songs are about. And we just began to talk about some concept, some concepts that are out there already um, that tie into the destruction of the natural world, okay. the destruction of what what is deemed feminine, the feminine, um, which doesn't necessarily have to mean women directly. It can mean a lot of different things. But um, and she proposed that there's that I read. Uh, this essay by um, a woman named Starhawk and she was a, an academic um, and she wrote this essay called dreaming the dark. Okay. Um, and she wrote it in the eighties. It's it's very long, you know, it's from quite a while ago. Um, and it just sort of talks about the history of the witch hunts and the witch trials and, what oh, happened in Western, yeah, the, the transitions that happened historically. Okay. Um, to the role of women, women's history, things that were sort of deemed women's practices, women's labor, women's traditions, and things like that, and how that all got changed, and like the, the transformation into sort of more Western, modern-day capitalism as we know it. Okay. And what, also how that ties into the war on our earth basically. Okay. Um, which, you know, and I, I think this concept of the feminine is in and of itself, is just sort of a way of categorizing certain things, but you know, like a feminine energy, maybe it's something that, um, it's, a bit, I, it's kind of extensive getting into like all of that, but I, I what I will say is that, she de she defines this concept of imminence, not imminent, right. like an imminent threat, but okay. imminence as things, living beings and living entities having an inherent worth just because they exist. Okay. So, uh, you know, and what is happening in our world today and what has ha been happening for many years is that things have been deemed worthy based on how much sort of can be extracted from them, how much profit can be made. Basically we're not looking at living beings and living entities as having an imminent value, but more a value of what can be extracted in terms of labor, in terms of um, commodity, in terms of resources, in terms of goods, all of that. And so she, she, has this concept of the war on imminence. And I feel like we're living in a very extreme time of that. I can um, see that yeah. And so I wrote, I, I, I decided after reading her article, after having many discussions <clears throat> trying to stay really current on politics and this day and age, and especially with the very current uprising of awareness about climate change um, and what is happening to our world, I felt like pertinent thing to distill down into a very specific statement. And so I decided to call it imminent fire um, because it's more about having an inherent worth and having an inherent sort of fire within oneself okay. or, you know, any kind of being having an inherent sort of fire in oneself to be able to address these issues and to address the world as we know it in a concerned kind of carrying away and also just that each person and, and all beings on this, on this earth are valuable, are, um, have an imminent value, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like I was talking about, but also that there's sort of a recalling of that, of, of a going back to that, you know, that it's sort of, it's sort of a very progressive way of looking at life given our set of circumstances. I can see that. So anyway, that's a, a sort of 
<laughs> so that's behind well, the name. Explanation for you. Yeah. So, so is this kind of a, like, like a concept album then, in a loose way? Well, I would say this is the same for all of my records, which is that I just write songs about what I feel passionate about or concerned about, or something that is called to be expressed, whether that be something I'm going through or something that I feel concerned about or have feelings about. Um, and then what tends to happen is that there tends to be some kind of overarching theme. Okay. And once the record is finished and then I go to write the bio about it, I go, okay, these are all the dots that I've attempted to connect through this work, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And that's very much what happened with this record and especially the last one as well. So, okay. Well, I mean, it makes sense just because there is a coherent in myself. Of yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Who I well, maybe there isn't. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah. I would hope there is. But you, um, you didn't set out to make it like um, Rush to 2112 or The Wall, or, where it was just every, no. everything was written about a specific... It's not telling staged or, or scripted story. No. Okay. No, I mean, yeah... Uh, I mean, I feel like that would be like a really interesting uh, endeavor to try. You know, like See, we're just talking about constraints in terms of songwriting. Album number seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there was nothing. There was no, I, I never sort of literally laid out what I was express and then wrote right. these songs. That's never been the way I work. Um, although I can work that way. Uh but yeah, no, it's just, it's more like a circular kind of way of working, which is like sort of as things come up, I write songs about them. And then in the end, I end up being like, oh, wow, these are actually all connected in a, in a very particular way. And this is clearly uh, conceptually what I was going for, whether I knew it or not. So well, that, that's really interesting. You are going to Europe. It's a really through. great way to deter people from, um, from, <laughs> from interviews that you don't want. So I very much appreciate. No, it's true. Because when you have a bio that's very sort of like intense like that, some people just don't have time for it. And then you're like, okay, cool. I weeded out the people who don't really want to interview me. Exactly. <laughs> so then I end up with great interviews like with you. Oh, you know, thank you and, very much. And people who are... <laughs> <laughs> People who read. Well, hey, you know, I try. I try. I <laughs> I do know how to read. Um, doing <laughs> between doing the interviews and editing, I found that because I do this whole thing all by myself. So it, I do the yeah, yeah. the booking, the interviewing, the editing, the promoting. Everything's all all on my yeah. own. In addition to my daytime job and my wife and three kids, who are incredibly oh, patient wow. with me. Yes. That's amazing. My wife is, wow. she's sitting behind me. She's got her headphones in watching TV on her phone right now. But, but, <laughs> but they're yeah, incredibly big patient. undertaking. Oh, it's, you know, it, they're incredibly patient with me. Hopefully one day it'll pay off. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> but uh, I found that doing this, I'm, I'm getting to know some awesome people, hearing some amazing stories. But I've actually found my, my time to read has been diminished greatly. Yeah. So. I can relate. I understand. Now, you yeah. are going out on tour is it in December in, in, in Europe. Is, are there, do you have anything in, coming up for a, a U.S. tour that you can tell us about? Or is it strictly just the European tour right now? I have not announced any U.S. or North American tour dates yet. Okay. Um, but that will hopefully be, be happening shortly. So, Do you have any... Any horror stories from the road? Anything that was just worse than uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of some of the. Some, I'm trying to think of some of the horrible stories that I've heard. I can't. Some of them I don't want to repeat right now. But yeah. so, do you have any horrors? Yeah. If, if you want to hear really bad uh, tour stories, listen to the show with Rob Dukes from the metal band Exodus from a couple of months ago. Oh. That that's a. Uh, He's got some pretty crazy tour stories, but uh, Damn. do you have any anything crazy happen while you're on tour or anything awful? Um, We're funny. I'm, nothing I'm aside from like 
people doing crazy things on my tours when they were drunk or something. <laughs> That's uh, usually when it happens. So in that sense, it's just sort of not really like necessarily worth telling you the details because it's just sort of like, yeah, that person was drunk and they fell down the stairs and they have stitches in their chin now, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then like they were out of commission and my bandmate had to drive the van all the way back to, you know what I mean? <laughs> stuff like that. And not, not too much, not too, too much of it. I'm grateful for that. Oh, but, that's good. Um, yeah. I mean, no, like alien invasions or, um, um no i mean i yeah that's pretty much it just some sort of chaos that was probably as a result of that's good uh people drinking on my tour yeah which that's good then yeah oh one time i will say okay so i (laughs) (laughs) was playing in a venue in in the north of france and um, I think this is around 2009. And uh, we arrived at the venue and, you know, it was, everything was really nice. Or people are, the promoters and everybody were very accommodating. And um, we ended up sitting down, this woman who played cello with me at the time, we ended up sitting down with some of the people from the venue and having dinner. And we had come from another venue that morning. And that I think the night before one of my bandmates had been sick and so he was, he had been sort of vomiting and not having an easy time and everybody else was fine. And then we sat down and had this dinner and then all of a sudden my tour manager started to feel sick and then I started to feel a little bit sick. Oh no. And I and my bandmate, the cellist, was about starting to feel a little bit sick. And so we went on stage, we started to perform. And I think we got about six songs in. I finished the song very abruptly and then I ran off the stage. And I vomited on the first exit door and then the second second exit door. This was all to the backstage. Oh no. And then I and then I vomited in an ashtray and the promoters and everybody <laughs> came backstage and they're like, Oh my God, are you okay? Oh no. And I sort of like picked myself up and dusted myself off. And then I went back on and finished the set. Oh my God. <laughs> You're a trooper. That's awesome. So yeah, that was one of a crazy, that oh. was one of the crazy, crazier moments. <laughs> oh my God. Well, uh, I love the sound of, of Basically, all the albums, Imminent Fire, has just got a, a fantastic sound. If 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 you like sixteen horsepower, Woven Hand, uh, Nick Cave, you definitely will like this album. Do you use do you use a lot of vintage equipment to get the sounds, or uh, do you col- are you a collector of any gear of any type? Or um, I think at one point in when I was like really into more like rockabilly and stuff like that, I was really into like vintage gear, yeah. but I don't have anything. I mean, I have a couple of really old Gibson guitars, one of which was my dad's oh, wow. and the one my dad bought for me. Um, and I don't play live with either of them anymore. Uh, so I just have a little, ep- I have an Epiphone that I use to tour with. Oh, cool. But I mean, if I had a lot of time and a lot more money, I would love to buy <laughs> some really amazing amps and things like that. But I don't really have like the spirit at the moment. Um, I can understand that. One. But yeah, in terms of uh, the gear that we used for the record, uh, my friend John, who's also going to be performing with me on these next couple tours, um, John Courage, he is a real gear buff and he has some really nice amps and guitars. And so that's what we used on the record. Well, the record, I love the sound. It's just got this folky, gothic sound to it. And it, it's like we were talking about earlier. It's, it's what that kind of stuff resonates with me. And I, I just love it. It's fantastic. So. Felt 
Oh. Now, where can people find the album? How can they buy it? And how can they follow you on social media and find out where, when and where you're going to be touring? Uh, so all of my dates are listed on my website, which is emilyjanewhite.net. And uh, you can buy the record. In, I mean, it's going to be distributed in the U.S. and North America and, of course, Europe. Um, so in your local record store, I can't guarantee that all local record stores are going to have the record, but <laughs> right. I think it should have some decent distribution. Um, or you can at least order it through the record store um, because they will have a connection to that distributor. Um, and you can order it on Bandcamp. Oh, there you go. Um, through my record label. So instead of ordering it directly off the website for my record label, which is based in France, you can get it through Bandcamp. Okay, and you can get the digital um, and the physical copy that way. Yeah, yeah, and it's oh, up awesome. on. It'll be up on iTunes and all the digital platforms. Um, yeah, and then there's obviously an LP that is for sale as well. Oh, wonderful, wonderful! Now, how, yeah, and do you, are you on uh, uh, Instagram, Twitter, any any of the social media platforms where people can find you? Yeah, so my Instagram is Emily under Jane underscore White. And uh, I'm on Facebook uh, under Emily Jane White. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, you know, I've kept you for almost an hour. Thank you so much for spending your evening. I see it, it's getting dark. You're, you're sitting in your car right now and it's like <laughs> pitch know, black. I'm lurking in my- <laughs> <laughs> I don't want this to get creepy. I don't want people to start making no, no, phone no, calls. No, it's fine. I, I, it's okay. I knew that this was going to be the case. So okay. I was prepared. <laughs> okay, good. I had one where I, somebody called me from a car and like, you know, this is going to take, you know, at minimum 30 minutes. And like, oh, really? He's actually driving. Yeah. I'm like this. You know, this probably oh, isn't going to yeah. work out so well. Yeah. So, but so thank you so much for taking the time and, and hanging out and, and telling me some great stories. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much for um, for the interview, and I really appreciate you reaching out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.